0: Well, it's been just a few weeks ago, we were sleeping soundly at the home of our older daughter in Louisville, when in the middle of the night, the smoke alarms sounded. Now some of you probably know from personal experience how absolutely unnerving this can be. Well, we quickly checked to be sure there was no fire, and then we wanted to shut those alarms off. They were ear-piercing, there was snow on the ground outside, it was very cold, so we all had to just plug our ears and wait for my son-in-law to get his ladder out of the garage and silence the alarm, but would you believe it was wired in a series? So one alarm was setting off all the alarms in the house, and we couldn't tell. Which one of the smoke detectors was triggering all the others? So they would shut off for just a minute or two, and then they would go off all over again. Ugh. I would rather submit to waterboarding. And this experience reminded me of a security system we had in our Joplin house when the wind would gust, which is pretty often down there in Tornado Alley, the thing would go off, and it would usually be in the early morning hours, and I would invariably botch the security code, as I frantically tried, while half asleep to punch it in. But the thing is, with this system, if you failed to get the numbers right three times in a row, it would deprogram somehow, and then it wouldn't shut off at all. And to make matters worse, the alarm speaker was located by the patio door just outside our master bedroom, outside. So it didn't just give us heart palpitations, it disrupted the whole neighborhood. And you should have heard the dogs going crazy. Eventually, I just disconnected the thing. I decided that the signs on the door warning potential intruders that the house had a burglar alarm, that would have to do as our security. And we hoped that if they tried to break in at night, they could read in the dark. Well, all this to say, I, I have a love-hate relationship with alarms, Alarms can be unsettling, they can be annoying, they can be frightening. Alarms can be something that you actually resent. But wait a minute, what if it turns out that the alarm saves your life or the alarm secures the safety of your family The smoke detector alerts you that an ember from the fireplace has ignited the carpeting in the family room while you were sleeping. Or the burglar alarm alerts you that a thief is trying to gain entrance into your home through a window. Then your attitude toward the warning provided by an alarm is very different. And the warning light on the dashboard of your car can protect your engine. And the warning alert on the panel of an aircraft can prevent a disaster. And the warning label on a medicine bottle can preserve a life, right? So warnings aren't bad. Warnings are good. Warnings are often necessary. Sometimes they're vital. So are you familiar with this book, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook? Have you ever heard about this? When this book came out, Over a decade ago, it sold over a million copies, it inspired a television show, it inspired clothing lines, it inspired a board game. So, do you need to know how to escape quicksand, or how to cross a piranha-infested river, or what to do to land a plane if your pilot passes out? This is your book. Or, there's a chapter on how to perform an emergency tracheotomy on a friend. All you need is a razor blade or a very sharp knife and a ballpoint pen with the filler removed. You know, I've wanted to practice this one. So, (laughs) anybody want to be my friend? I did see one chapter in this book that looked especially practical. It was uh, how to foil UFO abduction. Now, folks, this is information we can use. Here's what it says. Number one, do not panic. The alien may sense your fear and act rashly and control your thoughts. Especially do not think of anything violent. The alien may be able to read your mind. Thirdly, verbally resist. Firmly tell the alien to leave you alone. And try not to whine and pray that the alien understands English. Well, then you physically resist. If all else fails, this should be used as a last resort. Go for the alien's eyes. Yeah, if he has any. (laughs) Yeah, you might want to copy this down, keep it in your wallet, keep it in your purse. You just never know. Well, we're finding that a lot happened during the last week in the life of Jesus. And you saw on the screens just a moment ago that it's still Tuesday of the week. When in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 30, Jesus shared what you might call the end times survival manual. Jesus was responding here to the second of two very important questions that were asked by His disciples. And the questions are found in Matthew 24, verse 3. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? Now, they had just seen the temple. Very impressive building, and Jesus said, there's not going to be one stone left on another. And they said, tell us, when will this happen? And Jesus prophesied concerning the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and it happened just like He said it would in 70 A.D. It's a matter of historical fact. But their second question was, What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus responds by answering their question about those days, referring to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And that day, verse 36, related to His coming and the end of the age. And as Jesus responds to their question about His coming and the end of the age, the second question about the end time, he sounds a solemn warning. And he uses language in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, language like, keep watch, verse 44, be ready. And then in the parallel passage in Mark 13, he said, be on your guard. He said, Be alert, verse 33. Watch, verse 37. And after sounding this sequence of verbal alarms, Jesus uses two back-to-back parables to impress the reality of His coming again and the end of the age. One is the parable of the ten virgins, and the second is the parable of the talents. And I want to move through these two parables in Matthew 25, verses 1 to 30. But before we do, let me once again this week give you the message in a single statement. Here it is. When it comes to Jesus' second coming and the end of time, be ready so you don't have to get ready. First of all, he says, be ready for the bridegroom to arrive. Verses 1 through 13. It's a parable about ten young girls. And it's a story of contrast. These young girls were assigned to wait for a wedding party so they could lead a kind of torchlight procession to the site of the big wedding. Now, five of the girls were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps... But they didn't take any extra oil. The wise ones, however, took extra oil in jars with their lamps. Well, the bridegroom took a long time coming. The girls all fell asleep, and at midnight the cry rang out Here's the bridegroom, come and meet him. Well, they woke up. The wise girls had extra oil, but the foolish girls had run out. So they appealed to the wise girls and they said give us some of your oil our lamps are going out and the wise girls said we can't no we can't do that there's not enough you'll have to go and buy some for yourselves but while they were out finding oil the bridegroom arrived the five wise girls were ready and they processed with the wedding party to the wedding banquet and the text says, Jesus' words, the door was shut. Well, later the foolish girls came back and they wanted in. But it was too late. And the parable ends with the application in the form of a warning from Jesus in Matthew 25:13. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour of my coming. But listen, folks, there are more differences between these girls than five having no oil and five having oil. First, there are very different perspectives. The foolish girls were thinking short-term. The wise girls were thinking long-term. The foolish girls Were nearsighted, but the wise girls were farsighted. Back in that day, ancient weddings lasted anywhere from a few days up to a week. And the reason for that is that the relatives all had to travel by foot or donkey, and they had to travel long distances. It took time for them to get there, and they didn't get together that often. So when they got together, they wanted to make it memorable, they wanted to have a family happening. And then it took time for the groom to pick up his bride. He picked her up, and then he would squire her from her parents' house to his parents' house, then to the wedding. Now, they were not taking pictures at the houses, but it was a similar kind of thing. There were kind of some ceremonies and family rituals, and they didn't rush the goodbyes, And they savored this life transition for the young couple. Well, meanwhile, this particular groom had arranged, making some special arrangements, he's got ten young ladies lined up to wait for the bridal party and to light the way for them to the place of the festivities. Kind of like this groom, he's creative, he's planning ahead. But remember, in those days there were no watches and there were no clocks There were no cell phones, no text messages, no cars, no airplanes. Listen, communication and transportation back then, it was tricky to say the least. Late had to be a way of life then. And late is a way of life in third world countries today. Here's our lesson, though. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus said, No one knows about that day. Or hour. No one knows. Listen, no one knows how long we have to wait until Jesus comes back. But it's not just that. We don't know how long we have in this world. We don't. We don't know whether our time, and you can pinch yourself right now, you are alive, but you don't have any idea how your time. Will end. It could end supernaturally with Jesus' return. Or it could end naturally with your death. And nobody has that information. I don't know about the day of my death. I don't know about the time of his coming. When I transition from this life, either supernaturally or naturally, I, I don't know when that is. It's foolish to live as if we have forever, because, friends, we don't have forever. And it's just as silly to live as if there were no tomorrow. Have you ever heard a person say, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself? See, a wise person, a wise person lives as if this day was his last day. But he prepares as if, as if it wasn't. The thing is, you never know what life will deal you. So faith needs to be for the long haul as well as the short run. And remember this, our faith not only prepares us to die, our faith empowers us to live. So in these five wise and five foolish virgins, there, there was different... There were two different perspectives. And there were also different actions represented. Listen, the foolish girls accepted the invitation. The wise girls accepted responsibility. So the groom takes longer than expected. The word comes down. He's on his way. The foolish girls panic. First they try requesting oil from the wise girls. That's not going to be possible. So they go after more oil. And what we need to learn is that there are some things that cannot be borrowed. You cannot borrow education. You cannot borrow experience. You cannot borrow character. You cannot borrow reputation. You have to have your own. If you don't, you'll do without. Above all else, you have to have your own faith. You can't borrow it from your parents. You can't borrow it from your grandparents. You can't borrow it from a godly brother or sister or friend. Max Lucado tells the story of a man who had conned his way into the orchestra of the emperor of China, despite the fact he couldn't play a note. And when the group performed, he would hold up the flute to his lips, pretending to play but not making a sound. But then one day, the emperor requested a solo from each musician. And on the day of his solo performance, the imposter took poison and killed himself, rather than face the shame Of exposure. And the explanation of his suicide led to an expression that has found its way down through the centuries into the English language. We talk about someone refusing to face the music. That's what it comes from. So, the most important thing in your life, your faith, It cannot be borrowed, and someday each of us will face the music, and the wise prepare for that day. Well, these these girls also had different results. They had different perspectives. They had different actions, and they had different results. Listen, the foolish girls cry outside while the wise girls celebrate inside. The master of the feast, he wasn't being kind. He wasn't being unfair. This was not an open assembly. The wedding party was allowed in. The door was shut. And while the foolish girls were out hunting oil, they missed the procession. They were not included because they had excluded themselves by their own neglect. They intended to be inside. They desired to be inside, but they were too casual. And so it resulted in them becoming casualties. And it was not the outcome they expected. But it happened. And here's the application for us. Eternal destinies are not determined by what we say we want. Everyone Everyone wants to go to heaven if and when they understand what's at stake. And sometimes people will even hope against hope and destine someone to heaven that they don't have the slightest idea that they'll go to heaven, but they want to destine them to heaven. Going to heaven, it's not based on... It's not based on our imagination. And it's not based on our intention. It's based on our action. Well, I hope you don't consider the return of Jesus a worst-case scenario. (laughs) It shouldn't be. Because the Bible refers to the coming of Jesus as our blessed hope. And for those prepared for Christ's return, it'll be the best of all possible scenarios. The beginning of a celebration that surpasses all celebrations. It won't be that way for everyone. That's the bad news, but the good news is, if you're listening to God's Word today, you still have a choice. You still have an opportunity to be prepared. The second of the two parables that we're looking at from Matthew chapter 25 is similar to the one that we just looked at in the first 13 verses. This is the parable of the talents. And in this parable, we learn to be ready for the Master to return. We want to get ready, be ready, for the bridegroom to arrive, and we want to be ready for the Master to return. Beginning in verse 14, the second parable follows the theme of the first. Jesus is still responding to the disciples' question, their question, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of time? And they wanted to know what the signs were because they wanted to know when they needed to start getting serious about godliness. See? Of course, nobody thinks like that today. But Jesus refuses to play the game. So He answers, not with a list of signs, but with a series of warnings. And in both parables, someone has gone away, someone important has gone away, but they'll return. And those left behind must wait. And the first parable teaches us to be prepared, and the second parable teaches us to be involved. The first parable teaches us to be ready. The second parable teaches us to be busy. Now, before I give you a summary of the parable of the talents, I need to define what a talent is. Some of you know, it's not an ability, it's not a skill, it's not... A capacity, that's not what we're talking about here. A talent was a measure of weight originally. And later it came to refer to an amount of gold or silver. And each talent was the equivalent of 20 years' wages. Are you doing the math? So, a landowner goes on a journey. We don't know how long he's gone. Weeks, maybe, probably more like months maybe even years. He's gone a long time. And he has distributed his liquid assets to three of his servants, and one gets five talents. Folks, that's $2.5 million. And one gets two talents. That's a million dollars. And one gets one talent. That's a half million dollars in today's Currency, significant amounts of investment capital that are distributed to these three servants. And the reason for the differing amounts entrusted to each servant had to do with their skill, had to do with their, their experience to be able to handle it. Well, the first two servants invested well, doubled their investment. The third, he went out, dug a hole in the ground, buried the money. By and by, the master returned, called the servants in for an accounting. And the first two gave a good report. They were identically commended and rewarded. But then the twist in the story is the treatment of the third servant. Instead of coming to his master with a report of a return on investment, he offers an excuse I knew you were a hard man. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your money in the ground. Here it is. I didn't lose a dime. In effect, he's blaming the master for his own irresponsibility. I knew you were a hard man. So I wasn't taking any chances. I buried the money in the ground. I have dug it up. Here it is. But the master would have none of it. He has the last word. He calls the servant lazy calls him wicked, calls him worthless. What did that servant do with all of his time? (laughs) He did just what he wanted to do. My guess that it was perpetual R&R. How could he possibly justify his totally self-indulgent life? So the master takes away his money, he condemns the servant, and as a reminder that this story is about eternal consequences and not just about investment strategies, Jesus said the master didn't just fire the servant, he cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Friends, this is from Jesus. If you got a red letter edition, it's all in red letters there. It's a graphic reference. It's Bible speak for hell. So what's the point, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Someday the Lord will return. We'll give an account for what he has entrusted to us. And Luke 14 28, Jesus said, "A rather Twelve forty-eight. Jesus said, From everyone who has given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So, what should we be doing until He comes? Well, His parable makes it very clear what we should not do. The one response that will not wash is to do nothing. Nothing. The unprofitable servant's problem was his estrangement from the master. He clearly did not know his master. He said, I knew you were a hard man. Was he a hard man? I can't see it. I don't see it. Not in the text. He trusted the servants, he gave them substantial sums of money to invest, he gave them the freedom, the trust to do the job while he was away. I don't think he knew his master at all. I think there was a lack of relationship. He didn't love his master, says in the text. He feared his master, so he did nothing. The first two servants were involved. They took risks. Missionary Hudson Taylor, who founded China Inland Mission, once wrote, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, There is no reason. There is no need for faith. So what should we do until Jesus comes again? Two practical takeaways from this parable of Jesus. Number one, do, do something. Do anything that advances His purpose, anything that extends His kingdom, anything that blesses people in or out of the church in His name, Share your faith. Share your love. Share your resources. Share your time. Don't play it safe. Don't live a life of leisure. Don't indulge yourself as a life ambition. Don't pursue perpetual R&R like the worthless servant. Don't rationalize your lack of investment in the work of the master while he's absent because he's going to return and he'll be eternally present one day, very soon. And if I ask you tonight to just take a piece of paper and write down what you're doing on earth for heaven's sake, would you be able to record something or some things? Do something. And secondly, do what you can. With what you've got. Did you notice in the parable that there were no zero talented people? You notice that? Everybody got something to invest. Everyone had a stewardship to discharge. So what can you do? What can you do? What kind of abilities do you have? What kind of gifts? What kind of opportunities do you have? What has God entrusted to you? You're only responsible for what you can do. Nothing more, nothing less. Look at the words of Peter in 1 Peter 4, 7. Peter said, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. End of all things is near. So each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. The end of all things is near. So if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Two parables from Jesus today with two similar lessons for us. Be ready for the bridegroom to arrive. And be ready for the master... To return. Here's the straight of it, folks. Regardless of who we are, regarding our natural death or the supernatural coming of Jesus, there, <laughs> there will be no signs. All we have is warnings. And so your next breath could be your last probably not but could be this day could be your last day on earth and jesus will come suddenly in a moment in the twinkling of an eye like a thief in the night these parables ought to sound an alarm in us on this march the 8th 2014 be ready So you don't have to get ready because if you have to get ready, it'll be too late and we'll be left out like the foolish virgins or we'll be cast out like the worthless servant. The the foolish virgins had no one to blame but themselves. The worthless servant had no one to blame but himself. Be ready so you don't have to get ready. Will you stand with me for prayer? Father, I pray that tonight that these warnings that come from the lips of our Lord would not be for us uh, disconcerting, annoying, troublesome a distraction But I pray that we take these words of Jesus and these two parables like a seed plant it deep in our heads and deep in our hearts live every day as though it were our last live Every day, as though we could live out a full life into our 80s, 90s, or more. Lord, just help us to be centered. Help us to have our feet under us, our heads on straight as we live this life, day by day, day after day. Help us to keep our eyes on the eastern skies, sometime in the course of every day to look up to heaven and be able to say it honestly. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Because we believe that what you have for us is beyond our comprehension. And Lord, we... We don't want to be left out. We don't want to be cast out. And so... And so just... Remind us, remind us every day about eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.